Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Idag ska vi prata om en ny generation av biltillverkare från Kina. Men först här ett nästan tio år gammalt klipp med Elon Musk. Competitors now ramping up and yeah. as you're familiar with BYD are, yes, trying to compete. När intervjuaren i klippet nämner den kinesiska biltillverkaren BYD så brister han ut i skratt och på frågan varför han skrattar så svarar han bara Have you seen that car? <laughs> så, i det här avsnittet ska vi titta på om det här klippet med Herr Musk fortfarande stämmer eller om läget har förändrats från kinesiska biltillverkarna. Men vi ska börja från början. Om jag nämner bilmärkena Xpeng, Nio och BYD så kanske inte det säger det så mycket. Men det här är företagen som har tagit Kinas bilindustri med storm. De representerar en ny generation av biltillverkare med ett helt nytt fokus på tech, design och hållbarhet. Så vi frågar oss vad är det som krävs för att lyckas globalt som bilmärke 2022 och varför överger så många nya aktörer det gamla sättet att sälja sina bilar. Vi frågar oss också vad som är det nya premium och vilka de framtida utmanarna inom bilbranschen egentligen är. Where will the next Nike come from? Like that next global influential brand. If it comes from China, one of my bets would be it would come in the auto industry. Jag heter Jakob Löfven and I'm Nick Young. Och det här är den digitala draken, en del av Svenska Dagbladet. Idag tar jag armkrok med min kollega Nick Young som ni har hört förut i podden. Och det var också han som ledde oss in på det här ämnet. Så min första fråga till honom var ju såklart varför det är så intressant. You know when I'm walking down the streets in China, I see a lot of cool products that I haven't noticed before. And recently, I've seen a lot of really cool cars show up on the roads. Just my mental calculation is these are the type of products that I think would even be cool in Europe or in New York where I'm from. And what's been really interesting to me is that all of the cars that I've noticed and that have gotten me excited are actually local Chinese brands. It kind of got me thinking, what is it that China is doing with these new auto brands that make them so exciting, that get me excited around their technology? And and why haven't I seen this before? And then it got me thinking, what is their secret sauce? Och förutom att de här företagen som Nick nämner har tillkommit de senaste tio åren så har de även tre andra saker gemensamt. Det första är att de säljer direkt till konsument istället för via återförsäljare. They don't work through distributors. They sell directly to consumers or D2C. So the business model is the first thing. Det andra är att deras kärnprodukter är elbilar och inte bensinbilar. This ties into shifting away from traditional fossil fuel vehicles and it also enables these vehicles to appeal to a younger generation that is more interested in cutting edge technology, products that are digitally savvy, not only in terms of the hardware but also the software. Vilket leder oss in på det sista de har gemensamt och kanske det viktigaste, nämligen att deras playbook för tankarna mer till techbolag än en biltillverkare. These car companies they operate like tech companies. They hire talent like tech companies and they pay talent like tech companies and they iterate their product like tech companies every two weeks a new product sprint. 
They all have their own apps, digital services. Like it's all much more like a tech company and not just like a simple car company. Och nu tänker säkert du som jag. Det här har vi sett förut. So Nick, I'm just going to throw this out there. Like, isn't this just copying Tesla? I mean, it's a good point that you make. I think that Tesla introduced this business model and the Chinese have taken it one step further. There's a few companies that have succeeded in particular, Neo, Xpeng, Lincoln Co. I mean, there's a long list actually of brands that have cropped up in this space. And what's interesting to me is that because it's such a new space, they can rewrite the rules for how cars are sold and how cars are branded and how cars are marketed to consumers. Okay. Låt oss bryta ner vad de här företagen egentligen gör annorlunda. Och vi börjar med affärsmodellen. Det vill säga D2C eller Direct to Consumer. Och för att hjälpa oss definiera det här har vi tagit in en person jag hört förut i podden. Enligt oss, Sveriges kanske coolaste e-handelsentreprenör, Björn Polman Spenger. Tror du ljudet är bra förresten? Jag tycker det låter skitbra. Okej, okay, nice. För din är lite låg, men det kan du fixa till. Det är jag sen. Ja, ah, exakt. När jag först bad Björn beskriva vad D2C är så gillade han inte riktigt frågan. <laughs> det är så basic så att jag blir nervös här. Okej, okay, men om vi ställer vända på det då. Det finns säkert mycket mer djup än så. Om man bara utgår från att det handlar om att kapa mellanhänder. För det hör man liksom på namnet. Direct to consumer. Man går direkt till konsumenten. Kan du inte beskriva hur ett liksom, D2C-varumärke jobbar versus kanske då traditionellt varumärke? De ser ju fundamentalt helt olika ut. De fokuserar på helt olika saker. Ett traditionellt varumärke har ju ett nätverk av återförsäljare. Och då har man ett försäljningsteam som säkerställer att de här återförsäljarna är glada och nöjda. Och att de får produkterna som de efterfrågar. Det digitaliseringen har väl gjort är att man har effektiviserat de här leden. Att man har kunnat kapa de här leden. Och det vill säga att varumärket säljer direkt till slutkonsument. Man pratar direkt med slutkonsumenten. Man är väldigt nära slutkonsumenten. Framförallt också så tar man bort hela återförsäljarledet vilket som varumärke ger dig möjligheten att fördubbla din bruttomarginal. Alltså att man genom att effektivisera bort mellanhandeln återförsäljare tar återförsäljarens bruttomarginal själv. Okej, men förutom den här bruttomarginalhöjningen som i och för sig låter väldigt positiv finns det några andra fördelar för varumärket att göra det här? Jag skulle säga att det finns tre huvudsakliga fördelar för D2Cs kontra traditionell retail. Det första är att man har ägande i datan. Man sitter på datan från slutkonsumenten och kan använda den datan för att till exempel mycket snabbare produktutveckla eller till exempel mycket bättre förstå kunden och kundens beteende. Det andra är att man har en oftast väldigt nära relationer tillsammans med slutkunderna som varumärke. Och den här nära dialogen skapar en massa möjligheter. Alltså möjligheter till exempel till att skapa ett otroligt starkt community. Alltså varumärket blir slutkonsumenterna och i vissa fall blir också slutkonsumenterna varumärket. Det är som att de smälter ihop. Så med Björns resonemang om D2C i åtanke så går vi tillbaka till Nick och bilmärkena i Kina. It starts with just a simple business question. It's like how much costs can we cut out if we cut out the middlemen? Now, these new auto brands, they're going D2C which allows them to command and control the entire vertical. So they design the cars, they produce the cars and they sell the cars. So every customer touchpoint across this entire vertical is controlled by the brands, which means that they can control a consistent user experience and offer premium services all along the way. 
I think what these Chinese companies have realized is that brands are more than the product. They've all built out apps that surround their vehicles. They've built out social communities, and they've built out an extensive network of services around the driving experience. The vehicle is only one small part of the overall brand offering, and because of that, the brand needs to maintain consistent control across all of its customer touch points. And it can only do this if it takes control over a D two C model. A distributor model would destroy their brand. Men att fler och fler varumärken överger den gamla distributörsmodellen gillas inte av alla. Bilåterförsäljarna eller car dealerships i USA har flera gånger stämt och förklarat krig mot Tesla för att de gör just det här. Samtidigt som Tesla anklagar återförsäljarna för att inte vara transparenta, tjäna för mycket pengar på service och inte heller gynna konsumenten. Jag frågade Björn i hans roll som e-handelsexpert vad han tycker om upplevelsen att köpa bil på det gamla sättet. <laughs> det är ju... Pain in the ass. Jag köpte bil för typ två år sedan. Den processen var ju motstånd hela vägen. Alltså, då går man in på hemsidan, man försöker få fram detaljer som till exempel pris, finns den i lager, allt som är liksom super essential för kundresan. Och det jag kunde göra var liksom max signa upp med en mailadress och max hitta en återförsäljare som jag skulle kunna besöka för att eventuellt och hoppas att bilen skulle finnas i lagen när jag kom dit. Vilket den inte gjorde såklart. Så att den processen är ju riktigt jobbig alltså. Om man tänker på det här på lite längre sikt. Många av de här liksom gamla återförsäljarna inom situationstecken tjänar ju mer pengar på service än vad de tjänar på själva liksom köptillfället. Har det här någon effekt tror du på varumärket i liksom en modern kontext? Ja men det är ju direkt störande för köpbeteendet, alltså att man förväntar sig i stort sett att bilen ska gå sönder och att det ska kosta en massa pengar längs vägen och att det är det bilföretagen tjänar pengar på på sikt. Det förstärker ju inte utan det försvagar ju kundupplevelsen. Vi hör Nick Young igen. You gotta cut out the shady dealer. You gotta cut out the shadow pricing for sure. But I think the larger point is it's more than just sales. You know, the thing about D2C, which I think definitely applies to these brands, is that D2C is still about selling. It's still about how you sell to customers. But I think what these brands have unlocked is a new way to engage customers that may eventually and often eventually lead to sales, but do not feel like a blatant sales pitch every time the brand interacts with customers. Och då kommer vi in på andra delen av vad som särskiljer de nya varumärkena från de gamla. För det här sker exakt samtidigt som bilbranschen elektrifieras. China right now is a leading manufacturer of batteries. Det här är Miro Jin. Han har jobbat över tio år med några av de absolut största varumärkena när det kommer till bilar i Kina. Two of the top five global battery producers are in China. Och han berättade att Kina faktiskt gick om USA som världens största elbilsmarknad förra året med över 3,2 miljoner bilar sålda. So why do we see this shift happening right now and why is it happening so fast? You know, right now China has such a I think mature battery manufacturing capability. It's really paying attention to for example the upstream being able to sort of control the necessary resources like the scarce metal. I also see investment going to the recycling of batteries which I believe will, will be an important issue later. Och även enligt Nick så pekar allting på makrotrender. So what you have to understand about China is that they have set ambitious targets for capping carbon emissions. So they want to be carbon neutral by 2060 
and they want to achieve maximum carbon emissions as soon as 2030. So these are ambitious targets. So China is going all in for electrification. The other piece of it is China is not energy dependent. And this is one of the major reasons why they want to shift to renewable energies, because China has to import oil and gas. But China is the leading manufacturer of solar panels. And China now is the leading manufacturer of electric vehicle batteries. China sees the EV space as a huge business opportunity that it actually has the chance to become the global leader in because China has a built-out supply chain to produce the vehicles, but also, and importantly, the batteries, the charging stations. Now, look at where China started. Like, they completely lost the game in terms of traditional fossil fuel vehicles. You're saying, like, why is the EV revolution coinciding with the rise of these brands? It's because these brands, they see an opportunity to define themselves as cool brands, even if on the engineering side, they may be less well-engineered than, let's say, a Mercedes or a BMW. So it's almost inevitable that the world's next great EV brand would be Chinese. I mean, that statement, you know, kind of feels aggressive almost. Like, I I feel that I'm offending a lot of people here. You know, you and I always chat about this, which is like, where will the next Nike come from? Like, right, that next global influential brand might not be in apparel. If it comes from China, one of my bets would be it would come in the auto industry. När det kommer till just batterier finns det ett företag som har kommit på något ganska unikt. There's a new Chinese car maker that could be about to take over. Nio E8 är den enaste bilen i världen som kan faktiskt byta batteri. We have a product on the market today which can go from zero to 100% battery in three minutes. Det vill säga att man kan köpa bilen utan batteriet. This is battery swapping. So the car company Neo uh, in China, they're doing something that they call like battery as a service or battery swapping. It sounds almost kind of stupid, but like, can you explain like, what is that? So battery as a service is this idea that you can use a battery whenever you need a battery, but the battery doesn't have to be connected to the vehicle itself, which obviously it offers you flexibility, right? Because number one, when you purchase a vehicle, you can disaggregate the cost of the vehicle and the battery. But number two, when you're charging the vehicle, the battery doesn't have to be in the vehicle anymore. In other words, you don't have to charge at a charging station. You can just pull into this, kind of looks like a car wash, but you can kind of pull into this station and a robot from underneath the vehicle takes out your empty battery and then replaces it with a fully charged battery. And then you just drive away. This whole process happens within three minutes. So it's just as fast as refueling the traditional way. But it's kind of like battery sharing, bike sharing. It's part of the sharing economy. And the idea is that the business model is the same as SaaS, right? You pay a subscription fee to use the battery swapping service. So what's the actual benefit for NEO in doing this? Because it's like, it's new technology. I assume like if you go to a Nordic country like Norway or Sweden, then you have the snow factor, which is not necessarily a simple thing where you have to like teach the machine to kind of, you know, brush away snow before swapping batteries. And so like, it just seems messy. So like, except from being different from maybe Tesla, like what's the upside for NEO, do you think? It's a way to control the value chain for the customer. Once again, like, It's a cool experience to have your battery swapped in and out. But also, in some sense, it's kind of like a land grab as well. Who's building these battery swapping stations? So if Neo is able to control the key spots along highways and then eventually lease out their battery swapping stations to other brands to make it multi-brand, that's really important real estate for a brand like Neo. Okay, 
Då kommer vi in på den tredje punkten i vad som skiljer de nya varumärkena från de gamla. Och det är att deras playbook påminner mer om ett techbolag än en biltillverkare. Så jag frågade Nick vad han menar med det här. Okej, så jag tror att första thing is they hire people from the tech companies. So the positions that they hire for are product managers, engineers, software and hardware, UI UX designers. It feels like a tech company and they pay their employees like tech companies and they hire their employees from tech companies. So this is a first insight. So really their competitors are more like Tencent, Alibaba, Xiaomi and less BMW, Mercedes. You know, just I was talking to my friend who's like who was previously on the engineering team at Neo when he started his job there. He felt like he was just joining another tech company in Shenzhen. It was not like a, a vehicle company. The second thing is that these companies iterate super quickly. That's also a tech company. Like at Neo, my friend was telling me again, they have two week sprints. That's almost like a cliche in Silicon Valley, but like in the auto industry, that's unheard of. Like two week iterations and new product launches or new software pushes inside their vehicles like that's unheard of granted it's not just the vehicle right so if you think about product changes to the vehicle okay there's a long manufacturing cycle but we're talking about you know new functions built into the app right or new functions built into the service experience around battery swapping or their concierge private members clubs dotted around major cities in China like it's something it's constantly iterating the service and you don't see that kind of rapid iteration in traditional auto brands and i think the third thing that's really like traditional tech companies is that they raise a crap ton of venture funding you know it's like a venture model in some sense that you raise so much money because you need to scale rapidly and i think people in the industry they've come up with a new word to make fun of this model which is vc to c like venture capital to consumer because they raise so much money and they hand it out to these consumers almost like subsidies to acquire new users that it's almost like you know these venture capital companies are funding the consumers but that's really how they fund rapid growth in China so you have so much money to hire the top talent to build out new products many of which don't ever get developed that's like a silicon valley playbook okay so let's talk a little bit about software because there are two sides of software i guess like the first one is the internal one where it's kind of about fine tuning the driving experience and the car and so on and the other part is more the like the ux the screen and how that ux or operating system is connected to like a larger network of services and how you're connected to other cars and so on and in the west we haven't really seen anyone doing anything really exciting except tesla i guess when it comes to the ux part but can you tell us about like what the chinese players are doing are they doing anything exciting or are they just partnering with like google and so on the chinese car brands are all trying to create their own operating systems because it is an open space right now no one is creating the operating system for vehicles that i think that a lot of the major tech companies want to move into this space you know huawei has their own um vehicle operating system already once again this is about controlling the user experience and so if you're able to customize the user experience across all of these touch points in the physical world and through the hardware of your vehicle you're going to want to do the same thing with software. And so I'm not going to say that they're going to be better than Tesla because I think Tesla is an innovator in this space, but they've invested a lot of money to build out software functions. They incorporate gaming engines to build out the in-car dashboard for Neo vehicles. It's like a new approach to what software should mean in a vehicle. Like the vehicle is almost like another smart device but with wheels. It's like the next extension of wearable. If you think about it, right? You wear watches on your wrist. You have 
AirPods, right? You might have some kind of like weird nerdy goggles on your eyes in the future. But the real powerful wearable in the future is these vehicles. You wear your vehicles every time you're stuck in traffic. You have nowhere else to go. There's going to be all this biometric data that the vehicle gathers from you. And the way you interact with the in-vehicle dashboard will be very similar to the way you do it with your other wearables, like your watch, for example. Um, and I, so I think a lot of the tech companies realize this, and a lot of these auto brands, they've realized this as well, which is why they're hiring tech talent to prepare for the vehicle of the future. När vi talade med bilexperten Miro så sa han någonting intressant. Han sa innovation är det nya lyxiga. Innovation is the new luxury. Luxury is of course a status symbol. It's a way for you to make a statement. I think the statement that these customers want to make is not just I, I have money, but more about I have a vision or I'm at the frontier. Jag frågade Nick varför han tror att konsumenten börjar se innovation och teknik mer som en lyxprodukt än det kanske gamla lyxiga. It's a great question. What does luxury mean in some sense? It's luxury is what is desirable or even potentially inaccessible except to a small percentage of the consumer base. It's aspirational. And I think in China increasingly what is luxury is what is new, what is cutting edge, what is cool. And so I think for the people buying these brands, they feel this connection with these brands that they are now supporting these brands to create something that is cutting edge, potentially world leading. And that's luxury for them. Men det handlar inte bara om själva bilen och hårdvaran. Företagen spenderar även miljarder på att skapa en annan typ av lyx för sina kunder. So you know every time you walk into an airport lounge and you're like, oh, I'm so special because I am a gold card member and now I can sip my latte in peace and quiet in the airport. Whereas everyone else is crazy outside. Okay, that's you, not me. But it's the same experience um, for Neo because if you are a car owner, you've purchased a Neo vehicle, you get access to Neo House, which is like their concierge, almost like private member club service, which is like a really nice space where they hold private events. There's like beverages and snacks. You know, it's like a private members club. And I tried to walk in just to see what the buzz was about. And they asked me if I have a Neo vehicle. And I was like, no. And they promptly kicked me out. Like the bouncer for the Neo house kindly asked me to leave. This is the way they promote loyalty to their brand. Because if you are a customer, even if you're buying their lowest end model, you get access to this VIP service. This is a new, I guess, luxury retail experience. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. Så, låt oss prata om hype och produkter. De flesta är nog överens om att Apple byggde modellen för hur hype ska skapas kring en teknisk produkt. Ni vet den där legendariska lanseringen av iPhone 2007. Every once in a while a revolutionary product comes along that changes everything. Man kan nog också konstatera att Tesla sen tog den här modellen till bilar. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Elon Musk. Och sedan dess har företag efter företag försökt göra samma grej. Men det är en sak att marknadsföra en produkt och en helt annan är såklart att lyckas skeppa den. 
Och inte minst i den nya bilindustrin har vi sett många företag falla offer för just det här. Neo is nearly bankrupt. The founder of the electric truck company Nikola is being charged in an alleged scheme to defraud his investors. Faraday Future was a California-based electric car startup. Oh wow, people are really mad about the, the Rivian. I saw John Rettinger flipping out. A star-studded cast of top executives from Tesla, Audi, Lamborghini, BMW, Ferrari, Volkswagen, Ford and Google. We need to do a deep dive on what Rivian just told us today. The indictment claims that Trevor Milton used his massive social media platform to inflate his company's stock price. Okay, so let's talk about this because it's really easy to, you know, only talk about the ones that have succeeded. But again, we see a lot of companies that have not succeeded and actually going bankrupt in this kind of spectacular manner and so on. And I don't think we would be very accepting towards these companies if they were the kind of old generation of car companies. Why is it that we see so many failures in this space? Is it that hard to make a car? You look at these companies, right? It's still there's still startups. There's companies you, you talked about Rivian in the US, in China there was Faraday Future, there was Byton. They had powerful companies behind them. They they were financially backed. But ultimately they're startups, right? So they're trying to create new products and they're trying to engage their customers in a new way. Not every startup is going to succeed. I think we get excited about the brands that succeed because they become the face of the new type of business model or where the world or industries are moving in the future but like there's so many other brands that never made it that helped make that revolution or that transition possible they just ended up failing and so what you see in this space is companies that raise a lot of money that build a lot of hype around the brand that have an inspirational founder that says all the right things but ultimately they can't get the bread and butter things to work they can't produce the vehicle there's engineering delays and actually this even happened with neo like when they went public they didn't raise enough money or they didn't raise as much money as they anticipated and then there were these videos circulating social media about how vehicles were catching fire and the company actually was close to bankruptcy so i talk really glowingly about how well the brand has done but it still has had this startup journey of ups and downs well you know you know again i'm so surprised by how you know accepting the consumer is in this case let's just take you know these pre-bookings uh, as an example like tesla has done this masterfully where you as a consumer pay up like a deposit fee or whatever like a pre-booking fee and they have like a very loose date on when the car will be launched and and I think the best example is you know the Tesla Roadster 2 their like sports car that they announced like a couple of years back and that wasn't even a pre-booking fee that was the full amount you had to actually pay $200,000 up front you basically gave tesla an interest free loan for $200,000 indefinitely it's not like it's set to a certain date because they're always late it's a very fascinating thing because we as consumers we should be outraged by this but we're not well i mean it says something about the consumers it's like i'm clearly not that desperate for a vehicle like mine's fine for now but i have this aspiration to drive a tesla roadster too And I think it's the same thing for this initial customer set in China that's purchasing what I would say is medium to high-end electric vehicles. It's not like they need them right now, especially in busy Chinese cities when you may not need a vehicle at all. But because these are aspirational products, people are willing to wait for them. And I think this model of putting money down or purchasing products that may not launch on time, that's just to me that's straight out of the Silicon Valley playbook. 
product launches not coming on time, it's like you kind of expect that because that's one of the things that come along with breakthrough innovation. To me, my takeaway is I don't think customers see Neo or Xpeng or Li Xiang as car brands. They see them as tech companies. And so if you apply a different standard to these companies, you don't expect them to have product launches that occur on time. And you're willing to do crazy things like put money down for a new product that will be, let's say, a limited edition product because you're already associating it with a tech product. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. It's just to me, it's very interesting because if I as a consumer would have put, you know, $200,000, let's say, on the stock market or or even better, let's say I would put it on Tesla stock a few years ago, that would have been an entirely different case, right? Yeah, well, I, <laughs> that would have been the gangster move. You should have put your 250000 Tesla stock and then doubled that when all these other suckers put down their pre-booking fee, interest-free. <laughs> so we also mentioned that a lot of these companies are going abroad and they're trying to be premium brands and luxury brands through innovation and by creating loyalty and ecosystems around their products and so on. On the other hand, historically, Chinese brands have not been at all associated with premium. Like very, very few. I would say like the only company that comes to mind is DJI that have done this on a kind of larger scale. But just the fact that these companies are going abroad and they're positioning themselves as premium, does that represent a bigger shift, do you think? Because I can only go back to, you know, Japan and what happened there a few decades ago. Well, you know, at the beginning of this year, NIO officially launched their first battery swap stations in Norway. And they're also kind of in discussions to license their battery swapping stations to other automakers in Europe. But the idea here is that they're trying to expand their premium offering to Europe already. So your question is, will this succeed? I think one of the things that they're already investing in, and this is not just Neo, but a lot of the leading brands, they're investing in building out research and development in the West. So investing in R&D centers, like I said, in Silicon Valley, hiring foreign design teams. The battery swapping station for Neo was designed by a Swedish designer uh, because they recognize that what is premium isn't necessarily something that has to come from China. They're trying to hire a global team. That's what they recognize as key to their expansion overseas. To be honest with you, this is get to the point. Like, I don't know if they're going to succeed or not because right now you have a lot of different forces at work, conflicting forces. On the one hand, you have this green revolution, people are switching to electric vehicles, and I think that the Chinese D2C auto brands are some of the best products on the market. On the other hand, you have increasing anti-China sentiment, and you have potentially a global recession, you have this ongoing war, and we don't know what that's going to mean for a lot of these brands trying to establish a foothold in Europe. Because even now I know that in China, funding is beginning to dry up just because investors have to be more conservative. And these brands, they rely on venture capital funding. So I think the jury is still out of whether these brands will succeed. But I think what's interesting is that they're not going to fail because of the reasons they traditionally failed. Traditionally, it was because this brand is shoddy. It's a crappy product. It looks crappy. Or it doesn't touch on any of the brand values that, let's say, I as a Westerner care about. I think that Chinese... D2C electric vehicle brands are much more savvy. They can build a brand now that will hold its own in the West. It's a matter of the other things line up. That's a really good point because I think there's a lot of uncertainty for any car brand right now. Like, 
unless you're kind of Tesla, I would say, because they're kind of past the point. I think only Tesla can do what Tesla is doing, and because of Elon Musk. Yeah, I think so too. I think a lot of people, including myself, and I think the market in general, thought that all these new electric brands could just follow the Tesla model. You saw Rivian in the West, right? And they're not doing so well now, right? So I think, as you say, like most car companies does not have a founder that has, you know, hundreds of millions of followers on social media that wants to put people on Mars, that is kind of leading a lot of very cutting edge projects for the future of humanity and so on. It's like, I think a lot of companies, including the Chinese ones, have been kind of riding the hype of Tesla for a long time. And I think it's a really good point that you're saying that there is a lot of uncertainty on the market because at the end of the day, it's a combination, obviously, of how many cars you're selling. But if you're a public company, it's also how your stock is doing. Yeah. I mean, that's a really great point because I think what China lacks is a visionary founder that can operate on a global stage. We see how important and influential Elon Musk is to Tesla. He can influence the stock price single-handedly and not just the stock price, like cryptocurrencies. He's like the Buffett of our age. And I don't think you see the same type of people coming out of China. Like they understand very well how to do things like how do you integrate social media marketing into the sales funnel for vehicles, right? Because like they come from an e-commerce world, so they understand how to do that. But if you're talking about how to inspire a generation around abstract, aspirational values, thats I don't see that yet as something that China can lead for the world. And I don't know if the West is willing to accept a thought leader around these abstract values coming from China. I think that's just as important of an issue. It's easy to accept Steve Jobs, you know, because he comes from the West. But if you take a China-centric thought leader or innovator and put him or her in the West, then it won't necessarily have the same impact. Vi ska avrunda det här avsnittet genom att prata om hur bilbranschen kommer förändras. Och när man tar upp det här ämnet så finns det alltid ett företag som dyker upp. Get ready for the iCar. What's your take on the resurgence of this rumor? What shocking thing could Apple introduce? We have confirmed from multiple sources that Apple is in discussions with Hyundai Kia. Just imagine Tim Cook introducing an Apple car. Okay, so there's one company that is constantly rumored to be launching a car like anytime soon. And you know which it is, right? Dun 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 dun. iCar. I know. We'll see. I don't think they would use that name though. You know, probably not. They like to surprise you. But yeah. so if that were true, it would be the first kind of pure tech company to go into the car industry. Like, how do you think that would impact the global car market? Well, if and when Apple launches their vehicle, they will immediately become the leading manufacturer of what I assume to be an electric vehicle hmm. in the world. And it'll be Apple versus Tesla. We could talk about this for a very, very long time, but like the brand the install base of users, the operating system, the ability to deliver on product and design, the distribution networks globally and access to a global supply chain. There's it's just the list goes on. But I think the other thing is that you have this built-in walled garden suite of services that Apple has, right? Like if you're using the iPhone, you have a MacBook, you have AirPods, an Apple Watch. I know you have all these things too, Jacob. Like you're locked in. So when they roll out the car, they're going to make it integrate so well with all of their other tech products that it's really difficult to go to another brand. They're, they're going to make it seamless. And so that built-in advantage, that built-in installed base of users is their huge competitive advantage when they move into a new tech product. 
Yeah, I think that's really interesting to think about because, you know, they've done this before, although with completely different products. But if you look at like the launch of the iPad, even better, if you look at the launch of the AirPods, like before the launch, Apple had 0% market share of wireless headphones, right? Because they had zero products. And then just six months later, they have 26% the market leader and they've grown the market considerably, not just in the number of earphones that have been sold, but also they've raised the average price of what the consumer wants to pay for a pair of wireless earphones. So it's like, it just proves that when they introduce something that is so smoothly integrated with their ecosystem, there's just no stopping Apple. And obviously, this is a very different product from a car. And it's a very different price tag too. But it's it's interesting to think about. Like, there's very few companies in the world that can actually do this. And in many ways, I think actually Tesla has been a really good case study for Apple, whether they should go into this category or not. So you know what Apple's really good at monetizing? Consumer trust. Because if Apple were to move into a new product line that's radically different from anything else they've created, I think most Apple consumers would just trust that they get it right. Even if you look back and they've had product failures before. But it's just this idea that Apple will put out a product that will deliver on some promises. Instantly when they roll out car, they'll have customers that are willing to buy it. Sight unseen, put down a deposit. I may be one of them. I don't even drive. Yeah, I, I think it's Scott Galloway that says, you know, you don't buy an Apple product because of the tech specs. You buy it for the same reason that you buy like a Gucci shirt or a, something from Prada. It just makes you sexier. Yeah, that's Scott Galloway. He's always, Scott Galloway always has to loop in some kind of sexual reference. It's like, I'm sexually powerful male. <laughs> I buy Apple. It's true. Yeah, and, and I think it's very easy to think about the future of the car industry where we kind of place, you know, the Teslas and the Neo and the X-Pung versus like Mercedes and, and BMW, but it might actually be the big tech companies that are the big competitors in the future. Exactly. You make a great point. Like the ultimate competitor to these new upstart Chinese auto brands are not the traditional automakers. My opinion is those traditional automakers will struggle to catch up to these new upstart brands. The eventual competitor will be the tech companies like Apple. Huawei has already put out their own vehicle. Xiaomi is moving into the space. Apple will move into the space. Can't say when, but that's their ultimate competitor. Generally speaking, I would say everything that I've said today about why these Chinese brands are so cool and why they've succeeded are ultimately like your classic tech answers. I feel like I'm pitching a VC, right? It's like, oh, I have user data and I have a closed loop cycle to gather user data and pour that into my product development and then iterate in two weeks, blah, blah, blah. It's like tech jargon. But then Apple comes along and they're just like, we're Apple. You trust our brand. We have a huge track record. And everyone's just going to shift over. So you don't need any of those other things. Like all those other things are given. Yeah. But you just put an Apple on it and that thing sells itself. Yeah. That's value that the Chinese companies can't replicate. And I, I mean, they know that too. Right. Because it's an image thing, right? This is the important thing like that I think the D2C brands have gotten right. They're sexy vehicles. Like all of these wannabe, you know, white collar tech workers are going to go by because they can't afford the Lamborghini, but they want the doors that open up. You know, it's like a Batmobile. But I say this is because it's not a tech thing. It's cosmetic. It makes you look cool. I have to admit, looking cool is important for me too. Like I looked at, I was like, check out that Lamborghini. And my wife is like, uh, that's, um, that's x -Pung. And I was like, what? And I was just like instantly like such a loser. <laughs> Stort tack till dig som har lyssnat. Glöm inte bort att följa oss på den plattformen du lyssnar på. Och vill du fördjupa dig mer i både Kina och global tech, gå in på svd.se. Vi hörs snart igen. 
Du har lyssnat på Den digitala draken, en podd från Svenska Dagbladet. Ansvarig utgivare är jag, Anna Kareborg.